Welcome to the Keep Cool Show, the podcast in which we cover how cutting-edge climate technologies connect to the world in which we live. I'm your host, Nick Van Ostel. So much climate and ESG-related policy and regulation, legislation, disclosure requirements, standards, I could go literally all day, that are coming into force. It's really, really hard to keep track of all of it as you've touched on. There's both the news management issue, how do you stay up to date with all of these different things happening in the world that affect my company, but also how do you stay up to date with these changes? It's so hard to understand what's happening as well as how it might affect you and why you should care. And so we could talk about regulations and policy all day long, I often do, (laughs) but the real through line there is the confusion of impact, right? It's so hard to go from this abstract thing to seeing the actual impact it has on your business and what's required of you. All right, Ella, welcome to the Keep Cool Show. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me on. So I'd love to start with just understanding a little bit of your personal journey into working in the space that you do, and then we can get into a little bit more on actual as a company and, and the work that you do there. But kind of what brought you to the work that you're doing in 2023? I first started considering working in the climate space when I was in grad school. I was studying human rights. And one of the areas that I ended up being most interested in was the intersection of climate change and complex emergencies. And as I got more and more into that and became connected with folks in relevant spaces, I pretty quickly came to realize what is pretty well known. uh, But the best way to make progress against climate change is, of course, to fundamentally change the way that industries operate and how governments provide either consequences or incentives for emissions producing behaviors. So I wrapped up grad school, moved back to the Bay Area, and started working in tech. And I was always at organizations that were kind of increasingly focused on climate change within their portfolios. When I was looking for what is currently my job, I was looking for a company that was kind of approaching climate tech a little bit differently than what I was seeing in the larger ecosystem didn't want to produce measurement tools or work at a pure software company. I wanted to be somewhere that was enabling real change in the real world. I've always worked at companies that had that sort of real world impact. So when I found Actual, I was really excited by the approach that they were taking, focused on providing tools to really fundamentally help companies, industries, governments reevaluate how they operate and provide ways for them to make that net zero transition. So that's how I got here. Got it. Love it. Yeah. And so you already kind of drew distinction between maybe some of the other measurement and more software focused tools that are out there in the market. And I'm sure for folks listening in that either conjures something specific to mind or doesn't. But in any case, I'm interested in kind of, you know, get folks up to speed on how actual is different, maybe from some of these other offerings and some of the work that that you all do for your clients. Yeah. So first, I'll tell you a little bit about what actual is and then how we're differentiated from existing offerings within the climate tech space. So Actual is an ESG transformation platform that helps organizations of all kinds, ranging from large enterprises to governments to NGOs, translate their sustainability goals into concrete plans. So basically, we enable our customers and their organizations to translate the latest science and policy, which is my basket, into detailed on-the-ground sustainability changes. So how that actually works is we have a modeling engine, and that is designed to allow our users to pretty quickly snap together these detailed uh, ESG operational plans. And they do that by using a library of reusable components that encode detailed science that underlies processes like carbon sequestration, land use change, what have you. And then the outputs of those models are made tangible and easy to interpret, presents them and like conveys it in SimCity-esque visualizations that show the data in like its real world context as opposed to spreadsheets that no one wants to hang out with. (laughs) So... 
how we actually differ from some other companies in the climate tech space is that that breaks down into kind of two categories. There are consultants and then there are other software companies. To tackle consultants first, I would say that for us, they're by no means competition. They're actually in many ways likely to become like among our biggest power users. So when you think of transformation, it's not like a machine-driven optimization problem. What we're really looking for are investments in the real physical world that will change how businesses operate. And so a challenge that consultants face in that is that they often have to build tools that do this analysis and communicate to their stakeholders from scratch for every client. But since they're the experts that are doing the work, our platform can provide them with ways to do that work more efficiently and communicate it better. So that's how we fit with consultants. When it comes to other climate tech software companies, I think one of the first thing that comes to mind when you're thinking like sustainability software, you're thinking of oftentimes a tracking or a measurement tool, mm-hmm. right? But from our perspective, tracking and collecting ESG, carbon emissions data, what have you, it's really, really important for companies and governments to understand where they stand today regarding their emissions impact. Yeah. And so there's tools like Persephone Watershed. They've done a really excellent job of helping companies become more aware of their emissions profile, where their risks are. Mm -hmm. But from our perspective, what's kind of missing from that is the planning and action piece of the ESG space and the puzzle. So more than just data analysis monitoring, organizations need like a real tangible action plan to really make some of the promised and in some instances government regulated (laughs) changes towards that more sustainable future. So from that angle, those existing ESG tools don't quite hit the mark in providing the actionable insight that companies might need. And that's where we come in. Translating data into action. Exactly. Yeah, there's a gap. Yeah. So I'd love to just, you know, dive in and talk about some case studies of folks that you worked with that maybe it was, you know, particularly interesting work and, and stuff that you helped were cases where you helped folks actually already start to make some of these transitions and, as I said a minute ago, turn that data into action? Yeah, so I can give you one of our favorite examples. Uh, We currently work with an organization called New Zealand Merino, NZM for short. NZM is a wool aggregator based in New Zealand, of course, (laughs) that works with hundreds of wool farmers around the country. They sell their wool to companies all around the world. We likely have wool in our own closets from these farmers in New Zealand. And our platform is currently being used to enable over 600 wool farms covering more than three and a half million acres of New Zealand farmland Hmm. to transition to net zero wool production. So the models we've built there have allowed the farmers themselves to really quickly model the footprint for each of their individual farms Hmm. and model both the effects of the emissions as well as the return on investment that they could see from various decarbonization efforts. Hmm. So each farm is different, right? They have different topography. Some of them are super mountainous. Some of them are just giant fields, coastal, what have you. There are different plants that will grow. There are different numbers of sheep, different kinds of sheep that reduce different sorts of emissions. We talk an incredible amount about sheep <laughs> and actual. <laughs> we all have a favorite kiwi sheep. Mine's name is Oren. He has fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Did have him on the podcast next? You should look into it. Um, but it's a different context for each of the farms, right? So the modeling helps the farmers decide which emissions reducing actions work best for their situation and to model out how to get to their goal, be that planting native plants, changing up the feed for their sheep. These are all different tactics that they can pull and model to determine 
how quickly can you get there and what you need to do in addition. So that really enables the brands kind of on the other end of the supply chain that are buying their wool to build products to track suppliers' emissions profiles, which in turn informs their own decarbonization goals and progress. So the result of this partnership is that these farms are now on course to deliver net zero natural fibers at a scale that's not been accomplished before, which we're pretty excited about. Wow. I mean, it's also fun to just think about, you know, all the different types of industries that are out there. We so often think about, yeah, you know, big tech companies, they will buy renewable energy and maybe purchase some carbon offsets. And that's kind of like the extent of the complexity of their emissions footprint. But when you get out into stuff that actually has a physical footprint in the world and it's connected to a lot of land use and stuff like that, it gets a lot more complicated. That's right. And it's so easy in tech to just focus on what we're, who we're used to working with, which is other tech companies. It's who we're surrounded by. But the organizations that are the most responsible for the majority of the emissions are companies with infrastructure in the real world. They're fashion companies, utilities companies, transportation companies, what have you. And there are really actionable ways that these organizations can get to a net zero business model. It's just a matter of how do you make the plan and how do you track it to get there? That's what what we're trying to build. Sweet. So when a company like this wool company comes to you, are they coming with a lot of data of their own and already like some preconceived notions about the direction that they need to head? Or do you need to kind of go elsewhere to source data to be able to start to basically start the process? So it really depends on the kind of information that they're bringing to us and what it is that they're seeking to do. And here we take an approach that's quite different than a lot of other climate tech companies out and about. We subscribe to a model first, data second approach. So what that actually means before I get into kind of specifically what kind of data folks bring to us and what we do with it, model first means that we are really focusing on allowing a business to act without having to wait for endless amounts of data, Mm. right? modeling out different pathways that a company can take to meet their goal, and then they can focus the data collection efforts from there. Interesting. So functionally, this really allows companies to get that ball rolling faster, to begin their ESG journeys right off the bat, adding data along the way as it's collected, rather than gathering that mountain of data and being overwhelmed by analysis paralysis and like not knowing where to start. We all face that in our personal lives at work. It's a significant problem. Yeah. Another issue with that is that we often find that companies will bring us data that's just really not quite relevant. (laughs) They've waited a good deal of time to collect lots and lots of information. And a lot of this information doesn't really help them fix the problem they're trying to solve. So say, for example, if you're a trucking company with a fleet of like 5,000 diesel trucks, you're going to have a lot of data about your current situation, but it doesn't necessarily inform the decisions that you're looking to make. And those decisions can look like, are you going to replace your fleet with electric or hydrogen trucks? Are you going to replace your fleet in the first place? And if so, how quickly over what amount of time? Are you going to set up agreements with rail companies? Or for last mile, are you going to partner with like an e-bike delivery service? These are all different ways by which you can reduce your emissions profile, but it doesn't really help to know what your fuel consumption or emissions were the year before, because it's just not relevant data to answer the question that you're trying to solve. So. Our platform instead allows customers to build those models to see what the future could look like. So model first, data second. Got it. Yeah. I can also appreciate why, you know, at least helping companies move more quickly, you know, there's kind of like a time value of avoided or reduced emissions. Like if we avoid, you know, one ton of CO2 emissions today, that's better than avoiding one in in 10 or 15 years uh, in terms of accelerating the transition. So that tracks with me as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then 
to answer your earlier question of what kind of data are folks bringing to us, it really depends on what and who we are working with. So if we're working with an organization that is more focused on the S, the social and ESG versus an organization that's more focused on the E, on their footprint, for example, that's going to be really different information. What's common, though, is we typically use a mixture of openly available, accessible data that's out in the world, as well as some proprietary enterprise-specific data that the company entrusts us with. So this combination of stuff that's out there, open source information, as well as the proprietary information, is kind of what we start out by using. And then the goal is you know, instead of gathering this infinite amount of data, which can literally take forever, which is a bit impractical, touch impossible, put constraints on those efforts. And instead, look at that model that you create with that open source data and the initial relevant data that the company has provided to us, identify what uncertainties exist. And from there, refine the data collection processes to address those uncertainties. And that's the point at which you have better direction towards the action that you're looking to take. And what I'm also hearing is you're kind of also helping companies save time and resources on really trying to like diagnose every kilogram of their emissions today and directing that in service of like, okay, well, we can also start to make changes and spend a little bit more time on kind of the forward looking component of what needs to happen. Yeah, exactly. If you're that trucking company, it doesn't matter exactly how many emissions are coming out of each of your cars. What matters is you have a ton of emissions associated (laughs) with your fleet and you can get rid of them by replacing them with EVs or hydrogen trucks, for example. It's a relevant example, too, because I think when this comes out, two episodes prior, we had a company building electric trailers, which can hook up with tractors presenting. So there's another uh, potential solution to add to the arsenal. (laughs) There you go. Throw it in the platform. (laughs) So yeah, we've talked a lot about, or not a lot, but we've gotten sort of we're getting up to speed on the work that Actual does. I'd love to also understand a little bit more about, you know, what you do day to day, because we've talked about kind of Actual in general and in concept, but I, I know that you have a pretty specific role there too. So I'd love to, to dig into that. I myself, I lead the team here that's focused on the areas of policy, industry affairs, and research. So our perspective, of course, is that progress doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? Which is why when we are focused on building out the resources that the companies need to transform, building out those models in our platform, that includes helping them to create action plans that comply with relevant rules, regulations, policies, and standards. Those are the governing guardrails that really dictate what you can and can't do. And they're geo-specific as well. So really developing an understanding of how does this affect our customers? Yeah, I mean, I'm super interested in, A, understanding, are a lot of your clients coming in kind of with a primary focus on like, okay, the regulation is coming. And so maybe it's, you know, as you said earlier, there's some sort of penalty or cost that's going to be associated with our behavior in the future. Or are some of them coming at it, and I totally gather that there'll be a mix, but are a lot of them coming at it from kind of like a more proactive, like, oh, you know, this is kind of what our customers want, and we want to attract business by having more sustainable practices? It's not a yes or no. It's a yes and. So we have, over the last year or so, I would say that we've seen a lot of companies have come to the realization that carbon accounting and reporting isn't really going to solve the problems that they have. And this is one chunk of customers. We're seeing companies that are like, great, but a really great sense of what our emissions are, where they're coming from. The problem is offsets aren't sufficient. We're facing these different kinds of pressures. There's investor pressure, there's regulatory pressure, there's consumer pressure, a whole variety of pressures that dictate how 
organizations behave. And when there's enough aligned pressure, they're going to all be pushed towards the direction of transformation. The first step on that journey is often counting your emissions, measuring your emissions, getting a sense of where they're coming from. That's fantastic. It's really, really great starting point. So we've seen a lot of companies that have done that and they're like, oh, well, actually, we need to now make some plans, take some action. So those are the folks that are coming to our door that have taken that approach. There are some that are specifically coming because they are facing regulatory and legislative pressure. There's kind of an acceleration in the standardization and kind of breadth of climate and ESG-related regulations, as well as disclosure regimes. Disclosure means companies are being asked by various government agencies, for example, being asked by various organizations such as the SEC in the U.S. to disclose their carbon emissions, as well as any plans that they may have to address climate-related risks, to take advantage of climate-related opportunities, or to talk about what their transition plans are. These are efforts to both mitigate greenwashing as well as to meet some of those pressures coming from investors and consumers that are looking to understand how companies are behaving in the face of the climate crisis. I mean, considering that you have such a trained eye on the policy environment, probably across a bunch of different geographies, would just be keen to pick your brain about what's most interesting to you in 2023 or what's coming soon. I think 2022 was obviously pretty exciting year in the US in some regards with things like the Inflation Reduction Act, but I'm sure there's no shortage of stuff that's uh, that's coming in the new year already. 2022 was a really big year. And I think it's important to remember when taking that into consideration, so many things happened in 2022, but all of that happened because of decades of pressure to make progress on these issues. And so we really can't underestimate both how important it is, all the work that's been done to generate that pressure, to get the government and agencies and different organizations on the same page to take action against this, but also the amount of time that it takes. <laughs> so we've seen a lot come to the forefront now, but we can't anticipate necessarily that that pace is the new normal. Right. It's kind of like the product of decades of work already. So That's right. And there's still more of that that's to bear fruit in the next few years. So we're definitely going to continue to see really exciting thing comes to, things come down the pipeline. but. I do also want to caveat it with these things do take time. And it's been really thrilling to see all of the incredible work come to fruition with things like the Inflation Reduction Act. So I'd say more generally, the climate policy landscape right now is really exciting for all those reasons we just touched on. There's so much activity right now around the topic of ESG. And there have been huge developments over the last few years, and all of which we're still frankly digesting these big developments. So think about the Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act. There's been all sorts of announcements coming out of the EU, Australia, New Zealand, for example. New Zealand has a new methane emissions tax. Uh, Australia as well released a plan last year for their entire economy to functionally alter how they operate in order to reduce their emissions by upward of 40% by 2050. So we're seeing these really significant climate action plans come out of big economies, out of really significant trade blocks, and they're going to shape how organizations can do business, how they can run their operations. So we're still digesting a lot of what happened last year. And now the really hard part from that is you can read the bill various bills. They're very dense. They're very lengthy. Please get a nice cup of tea and get comfy. But once you're done reading them, the hard part is figuring out how it actually changes what you need to do and figuring out the less clear implications. A lot of them are still really underexplored. We're going to be releasing an article in the next few weeks about the methane fines that have been found in the IRA and 
how impactful they are against oil and gas companies of varying sizes, for example. So those there are lots of yeah. yeah. So we're still digesting a lot of this and really understanding how does this actually shake out for various industries and make it industry specific because there's no blanket application, there's no blanket implications here. So with all this potential, there's lots of new legislation coming on the pipeline, but we still have to fully engage with what was passed in the last year. This next year, I will say, we're going to be spending a lot of our efforts focused on the state level. Mm. Within the U.S., the federal level can get bogged down, to put it simply. (laughs) And so the most potential for significant climate action lies at the state level. And there, what we're expecting to see is legislation that focuses on a couple of things. Really big emissions producing industries are likely to be more heavily regulated at the state level in the coming years. Mm. Legislation, for example, that will require all new buildings built after a certain year to be powered by renewables or to be built with lower emissions materials by a certain year, which is personally thrilling to me because low carbon emissions and water use cements are some of the most promising innovations that we've seen in quite a while when it comes to really reducing the emissions associated with our infrastructure. We're also expecting to see legislation that targets greenwashing. Mm. So it's going to focus on disclosure requirements for emission statuses, reduction plans, transition plans, disclosures. California last year had a bill called SB 260, and it was targeting companies with over a billion dollars in annual revenue were going to be required to publicly release their scope three emissions profile, the data around all of that. It didn't pass unfortunately. It was pretty close. It's really exciting because California is a little bit of like a, a legislative testing zone. It's where they try out really, really progressive policies to see what's tenable. How far can we push the boundaries? Exactly. And it tells you how much of an incrementalist approach you need to take instead of pushing those boundaries. Mm. So that was really, really telling. At a higher level, what we're looking for this year is in April, the SEC will be releasing their climate-related financial disclosures rule. This is really exciting, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) They released the proposal in March of 2021. And it's taken a while to get to this point, but it will be really interesting to see how strict they end up being with things like scope three emissions disclosure requirements, how much they're going to hold companies to truly disclose their transition plans as opposed to just providing a smaller narrative. So we'll have to see what happens. There's also a global plastics treaty that's shaping up. It is in the very earliest days of negotiation, but it'll be really exciting to see what comes of that and the impact that that has on plastic using industries such as food and beverages and the ways in which that pressures them to pivot more towards compostable or reusable materials. So that's what we're going to be keeping an eye on this year. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you just expanded the purview of everything I'm paying attention to on the policy front this year significantly. So thank you for that. And I imagine that, you know, or I guess I should ask, you're keeping an eye on all of this stuff and it's there's it's probably super useful for a lot of the clients that you work with directly at actual to help them build these plans around their transformation. Do you also have plans to maybe kind of open source some more of it and provide it to folks like myself kind of in that article form that you were referencing a few minutes ago? Or is it all going to kind of stay locked in the war chest for for paying customers? <laughs> um, so a touch of both of those. We're going to continue to write blog posts to published pieces across different forms of media that really focuses on the impact of these really significant pieces of legislation, as well as some of the smaller ones that kind of can more easily get missed. So there's a law in California that passed not too long ago that is focused on wastewater 
but it also has impacts for the renewable natural gas industry. It tells you what kind of feedstocks you can put into that. And so when you put two and two together, it really tells you the impact of this law is much more significant than it might appear if you were just reading it, read a headline and went by in passing. So it's really important for us that as we get these pieces of information out, we are conveying to the correct industry, here's why you should care. This is why it has such a big impact on your business. And if you don't pay attention, you're going to hit this sort of failure point within roughly this amount of time. So we will continue to publish things out and about for the world. From a more internal perspective, uh, we are building out our knowledge base. We continue to build out our knowledge base. This exists as two forms. There's the content, and then there's how we're actually going to have our customers interact with it, our paying customers. So the knowledge base, how we envision it, is it's a robust single source of truth for all climate policy, regulation, and legislation. It's a place where individuals and organizations can go to find out what is available for their industry when it comes to ESG compliance and transformation, for example. So the whole goal here is that in order for us to make progress on climate work, we really need to have access to these resources right. and the information that governs the environment in which we're operating. So making clear, why should you care? Why does this matter? What does this mean to you? And so we created this to solve the problem of helping companies understand how this evolving regulatory and legislative landscape impacts them. So the end goal there is you're a decision maker and you have to decide how you actually want to spend your resources in order to action against your transition plan. We want to inform those decision makers of the implications of the rules, policies, and regulations, current and upcoming, that they will have on the decision that they're going to make. And so at the end of the day, you don't just understand how it's going to impact you, but you understand the ways that you can both benefit from it and the risks associated with it. And so for customers coming through our process, they'll then be able to look at that info within the knowledge base, see the impacts that they face all around the globe when making those spending decisions. Yeah, as, as I was hearing you kind of discuss all the work that you all are doing to understand the policy environment, I was, I was definitely thinking about like, what's the way that this can be most easily disseminated to all the different people that would benefit from it because that's something I think about a lot, right? Is that knowledge sharing of instead of just helping one client that you may be actively working with get up to speed on, you know, here are the rules and regulations that you need to be wary of as you build this transformation plan, like that's probably super applicable to all kinds of other climate tech companies too, or, you know, not even just climate tech companies, but companies interested in making this transition. So yeah, I'm glad that we discussed that piece. Um, Absolutely. Okay. We currently have an RFI tracker up on our website. And RFI is a request for information. It's what a different government agency will publish when they are seeking input from expert stakeholders in the public to inform either spending decisions or program development decisions. And these are really important to participate in for both climate tech companies, but also just larger practitioners within the climate space, because they can fundamentally help shape how those government programs and spending initiatives end up looking like. So we do have these things for free available on our, on our homepage, and we're going to continue to build out that library so that folks can have access to the information that they truly need in order to operate. But our actual customers will have access to a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. But yeah, I'm excited to kind of champion that as a good resource for people to to at least get started. And it also kind of ties into a broader question that I always like to ask folks like yourself that are interfacing with a lot of different companies that kind of play in a lot of different industries, or sometimes we call them kind of verticals or themes. But I imagine that, you know, based on the fact that you all are building this product, one of the biggest challenges that probably every company you get to know faces is keeping up with all this information, which is 
what you're trying to help them do now. But I'm also curious, you know, what are some other common challenges or just common things that you're hearing from all the different companies that you work with that, you know, beyond keeping up with the regulatory environment? So a lot of common challenges that we are seeing today have to do with how quickly the climate policy landscape is evolving. Mm. Climate policies are a really great tool that governments can use to move the needle forward on specific overarching goals, with net zero being a really good example of that. But most of the time, governments aren't particularly well in tune with industry's specific challenges or needs, for example. And so that makes it really difficult to implement targeted regulations that have the effect that they're wishing to have. An example of this is the methane fines that we found in the IRA. Um, as an article we're going to publish in a couple of weeks makes clear it may not have the impact that was intended. And so what's really important for a lot of these industries, a challenge that they're running into, is that they really want to make progress on climate. They just don't have the resources that they need or know where to find these resources. And so part of our solution to that is the knowledge base. But it's also a matter of democratizing that information, making it easier for people to find what they need and to understand the specific implications for themselves. Another common challenge that we're seeing is that a lot of these industries, they really recognize that there is a need to transition towards these more sustainable ways of operating, but mm. they don't have the step-by-step processes that would guide them through it successfully. And they also don't have that information that they need. So there's a lot of benefits that come out of the IRA, for example, right? If you are a trucking company, there are so many ways in which you can cash in on electrifying and decarbonizing your trucks. But unless you're going sit, to sit there and read through hundreds of pages, or you develop a sufficiently robust and sophisticated understanding of where to find the information that would tell you how to do that, you're likely to miss out on that opportunity, right? You can't take advantage of what you don't know exists. So a lot of trucking companies could continue without electrifying their fleet, even though they could have done so at significantly reduced cost to themselves and at tax benefits. Well, I'm glad that there's folks like you all doing the work because I don't know, sometimes I'm, <laughs> sometimes I feel like I should be helping folks do that too. But, uh, you know, you write a a 2x weekly newsletter and release a podcast episode each week. It'd it'd be impossible to cover it all. But uh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, how could you? There's just so many things. I would say another challenge that we're seeing, if I could tap into another one, industries also struggle to scale their carbon emissions reductions. So for example, if you're trying to reduce emissions at multiple touch points across your supply chain, it can be very difficult to take into consideration the nuances of what's producing those emissions and how you could replace them by not just offsets, but by fundamentally changing how you're operating. So those farms in New Zealand are a really good example. The different remediation practices that might work on one farm aren't going to work on another one because the specific context is so different. Yeah, that speaks to the kind of the benefit of more tailor-made solutions. I think folks default to a lot of the same conclusions about where the emissions reductions have to come from, right? You change your power source or your fuel source or when that's not possible or doesn't get you all of the way there, you start kind of buying carbon removals or carbon offsets or something. But I'm sure that as you've pointed to a number of times in this conversation, there's a lot of other options in between that can kind of help form a, a patchwork of solutions. That's exactly right. And then to continue along the thought of through lines that we often see as we're talking to different you know, government agencies, different customers, organizations from all around the world, they're also all struggling with kind of relatively connected Uh, more systemic issues. So think about something like a supply chain. Supply chain complexity and the fact that we're all part of a really interconnected and networked world is a thrilling that we're seeing among our customers and partners. So just to break that down a little bit more, very rarely do you see a company that's fully vertically integrated anymore, right? Right. They're a real unicorn out there. (laughs) 
Instead, you're seeing companies that are impacted by their suppliers and their suppliers up and down the supply chain are facing a lot of different mandates and regulatory requirements. So to talk a little bit more about the wool example, you might be a phenomenal suit maker, (laughs) but you're not a farmer. So in that instance, you rely on the knowledge of wool farmers. But because these scope three emissions still haunt you and the regulations that are beginning to govern scope three disclosure requirements and the other regulations that are beginning to flow through supply chains, the suit maker's problem has become the farmer's problem and the farmer's problem, the suit maker's problem. So historically, supply chains, it was cash for parts, but now it's increasingly the subject of regulations and disclosure requirements. This is a real pickle for these companies. And then the last one is that there is so, so, so much climate and ESG-related policy and regulation, legislation, disclosure requirements, standards. I could go literally (laughs) all day that are coming into force. It's really, really hard to keep track of all of it as you've touched on. There's both the news management issue. How do you stay up to date with all of these different things happening in the world that affect my company? But also, how do you stay up to date with these changes? It's so hard to understand what's happening as well as how it might affect you and why you should care. And so we could talk about regulations and policy all day long. I often do. (laughs) But the real through line there is the confusion of impact, right? Yeah. It's so hard to go from this abstract thing to seeing the actual impact that happens in your business and what's required of you. Again, I'm happy that there's folks guiding companies individually on this uh, (laughs) because even just, you know, creating kind of articles or studies or stuff about all the different policies that come out, like that's not going to be enough to help each company manage their own kind of unique transition. All right. Zooming all the way out, you know, last year, I think ESG is kind of like a term or a concept kind of took it on the chin. And I think a lot of that was related to ESG investment funds and kind of sustainable investment strategies, which is pretty different from the the work that you all do. But I guess like if someone, you know, at the next Thanksgiving dinner, ask you what you do and you say, oh, I work in like this sector of ESG. And they say, oh, I kind of heard that like ESG is a bunch of, you know, fooey. How do you kind of reframe that conversation or try to re-emphasize the value of, of ESG? It has become such a political hot potato over the last year, especially the last few months, ESG. I would say that I probably look at it this way. The counter of ESG is simply something that the majority of folks don't wish to invest in, right? Nobody wants to invest in a company that is actively hurting the environment. You're going to have a hard time finding someone who wants to invest in an organization that is actively doing social harm. So from our perspective, ESG isn't this politicized hot potato. It's actually the base foundation of what builds a good business. And the issue that a lot of folks have is that they're focused on accounting and surveys and spreadsheets and assigning a score right. to a company based on their behavior. The expectation of those putting their money in is really different. So there's a gap there. So we focus on ESG, not from the perspective of giving a score, but instead of, hey, you're a company. We all have troubles when it comes to how we behave. We all have troubles when it comes to the social harms that we may contribute. We all have an impact on the environment that we wish to mitigate, or we may have governance issues, what have you, but we can actually help you solve these problems. These are challenges that are solvable via making very specific investments. And so ESG is not going anywhere, despite sometimes it's valid criticism. For example, there is a coal company that was labeled an ESG company because it invested in some renewably powered trains that moves the coal up and down the mountain. (laughs) That's a bit weird. (laughs) But regardless of what you want to call it, it's not going anywhere because it is the fundamental of what makes good business, especially moving in the world that is increasingly climate-focused regulated, right? It's facing more and more regulation focused on the climate. So the question instead should be, 
how do you fix these ESG problems? Not what score do you have? So that's how I would tackle that problem with family at Thanksgiving. I like that reframe. I was kind of looking for a good reframe. And, and I think a lot of it is, is, as you said, it's kind of about companies that are doing a really good job of processing and thinking about these things, kind of reclaiming the name from companies that have sort of used it in a greenwashing capacity. And that'll take some time, unfortunately. But It will take time. And I would advise in the meantime, try to not pay too much attention to how it's become such a political issue. Yeah, no, that's uh, keeping up with all of that would be its whole, whole own beast. So. <laughs> would take all day long. <laughs> all right. Well, I'd love to, uh, you know, for listeners listening in who are either excited to keep up with the work that you all are doing, um, read some of the reports that you're putting out or potentially, you know, work somewhere that could benefit from some of your services. Like what's the best way to keep up to date with what you all are putting out or, or just follow along for more? Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. So our focus right now is an early stage startup is that we're spending a lot of time investing in the product. So we are starting just now to really roll out a more public presence. So please, if you wish to find out more information about us, follow us on LinkedIn. We will also soon be launching a newsletter where you can keep up to date with the work that my team is doing, as well as what we're going to be publishing more publicly in the knowledge base that will be going out starting mid-February, which we're really thrilled about. We are always posting new blogs and earned media to talk about the research that we're doing and the impact that legislation has. So please go ahead and follow us there. And if you're looking for a job <laughs> at actual, if you're curious, we are primarily hiring for engineers right now. Mm. But if you are still keen and you don't find a role that fits your background, please email us at jobs at actualhq.com and we would be more than happy to chat. Awesome. Yeah, I know that there's lots of job seekers that uh, tune in and look for opportunities in this forum. So appreciate you including that. Of course. Okay, well, Ella, thanks so much for joining the Keep Cool show. It was great having you, and I look forward to keeping up with Actual's work in 2023. I will definitely keep my eyes trained on some of those uh, articles, whether it's about you know the specifics around methane emissions from the IRA or other. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. So you don't miss the next episode on another cutting-edge climate tech, make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And to get even deeper, you can sign up for my newsletter on workweek.com. We'll see you soon.